Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite-only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Disclaimer time. This is where I tell everyone to lighten up. It's just a podcast. Trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park. Thrilling, unpredictable, and potentially stomach-churning. What works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind. Our hosts and guests, they're awesome, knowledgeable, full of insights, but we're not financial advisors. So don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter. Always consult with professional or do your own research. Plus, let's face it, we like to have fun, laugh, enjoy the trading ride together. It's all in the name of good podcasting fun. So remember, take it easy, don't bet the farm, and keep your seatbelts on at all times. Thank you for listening. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop, home of the band of traders. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me today is the founder of Mind Unbound Trading, Aaron Rentfrew. Am I pronouncing that right? Rentfrew? You are. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, Aaron, you've been on my wish list for a while now. Uh, I think we played poker a few times in uh, back in the OFL days. Uh, and I got to say thank you to Bear Goes Long for setting up this introduction here. Absolutely. Uh, before we get into today's discussion, though, please just want to say uh, feel free to reach out with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at bandoftraderspodcast at gmail.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. If you'd like to learn more about Aaron and what he does, you can visit mindunboundtrading.com. Make sure we have all those links in the episode description so that way you can explore them after we get to know Aaron. Speaking of which, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Uh, not too bad. Uh, a little bit of struggles today, but uh, I mean, kind of the type of day it was. I probably shouldn't have been expecting too much right before FOMC. <laughs> I feel you there. Um, so tell me uh, how you got started, because it looked like um, looked like a family member introduced you to the markets when you were younger. Yeah. So my uncle, uh, he was a big, not trader, but he was a big investor uh, and worked in, uh, he was in the hotel business, had a few hotels uh, and was always very patient. And when he would wait for opportunities, he would jump on something and always give me stock tips. And this is dating back to high school. So uh, late nineties, mid nineties, uh, okay. he was giving me stock tips. 
uh, here and there uh, throughout the tech bubble, you know, by Rambus, like random things uh, right. throughout the time. So I started in stocks pretty early uh, and had an E-Trade account basically as soon as we were able to open one and kind of got hooked from there. I got away from it for a while, but I always found my way back to trading uh, mm -hmm. when I had free time and then got into options, I would say, in the early 2000s a little bit uh, more so, you know, intermittently learning here and there, mostly technical analysis and and stocks. Mm -hmm. And didn't really get into equity futures until about five years ago. And it was a bit of a transition, but. Uh, so it's, you're still fairly new to futures. I guess five years is a long time in this industry. Yeah, I had been trading index options for uh, a few years prior to that. And then mm -hmm. a lot of single stock, uh, things like that. Uh, but the equity futures side of things, I would say I had tested it out a little bit, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit longer before that. But really got deeper into it about five years ago uh, to where I was taking it seriously and working my way through the different strategies associated with futures. So you started out with more like an investing type mindset. And then uh, once you discovered options, I'm guessing that's when you started maybe trying to actively trade a little more. Yeah, when it was when it was early on, it was much more about, OK, buy this more of like a couple month swing type trades. Right. And yep. like that. Um, but at the time, I really didn't know the difference between swing trades and uh, options trades or scalping or anything like that. It was right. more just, Hey, my uncle told me to buy this and he's pretty smart. So I should buy this. I didn't really know why I was buying sometimes. Uh, but really I, I did pick up a few things from him. I would say like the, the most notable one was when BP had the Deepwater horizon oil spill and it was, you know, really getting wrecked. Um, mm -hmm. he waited a while and then called me and said, you should buy BP here. And I was like, you're crazy. It's all over the news. Like this thing's going to go to zero. Uh, in my mind, you know, I didn't know anything about how the market worked or anything like that. And he's like, no, just buy it here. And, and <laughs> I didn't. And he did. Oh, no. and he basically killed it uh, and it exploded higher from there. But, um, you know, I learned from there, like, you know, just that the news doesn't always matter. And, you know, and that's kind of when I realized that my bias uh, doesn't always matter either. Yeah. And still carry that one today. <laughs> Uh, that's a tough one to get over too. Uh, trying to get over those biases, but I think it's nice to have somebody that can kind of, I don't know, get not only just get you interested, but he's also at least getting you interested in stock market, the stocks aspect of it, rather than trying to get you, you know, slinging futures contracts right out of the gate. <laughs> I don't think that would have ended well. That right. uh, you said you had a little bit of success uh, when you first started out. Um, like, what were some of the things that that you kind of struggled with on that on that journey initially? I would say initially the where I found success was more on the swing type trades in equities. Uh, I didn't have much of an issue holding uh, equity trades and things like that. Where I started to struggle and where I started to notice the struggle, especially on the mental side, uh, more emotional side, was when I got into the options game. Uh, mm. For me, that's where I felt like uh, a lot of the emotions and mistakes and poor decision making habits uh, really showed their head because you're, there's a lot more volatility going on. There's a lot more of a kind of gambling feel to it. I'm, I, and I don't know if it, if you knew this, I'm, I'm 14 years sober. So, so for me, and I love to gamble, I love to, mm -hmm. you know, party and all those things, especially back in those days. Um, but I found myself very susceptible to make poor decisions when I was in that type of gambler's mentality. Mm -hmm. It was, it was where any, the more it came towards that, uh, the worse my decision making became. And the more I would cut winners too quickly over trade, 
uh, hold on to losing trades, think, like just all the uh, all the stuff that that plagues people. It's really interesting that you pointed out the like the emotions didn't really start to manifest until you were trying to do it on like an intraday level. I find that kind of actually fascinating. Like, are the emotions still there and we just aren't noticing them because we're not bombarded with them when we're swing trading and when we're, you know, just trading stocks like as a buy and hold type mentality or like or is it just uh, a different environment completely and it's not something or it, it, it tends to manifest? So I would attribute that more to when you're in a day trading when you're in a day trading mode, mm -hmm. you are actively watching every tick in the market. You're watching it go up and down. You're watching your PL PL going up and down. Uh, when you're in a swing trading mentality, you're waiting for you know maybe a once a month, couple times a month opportunity mm -hmm. where something pulls back into potential support and you get in, and you're not looking at it every three seconds. Uh, in a day trading mode, you're you're really glued to the screen. You're watching. Uh, every little gyration and every little gyration, you know, is in, on some level, on a very small level, your success or failure. If it's in your favor, you're, you're right. If it's, a, if it's against you, you're wrong. Uh, and it's very easy to have a lot of emotional swings as a result of that day trading type mentality, uh, mm -hmm. much more so than I think, you know, investing or buy and hold or uh, even like, you know, multi-day, multi-month swings and things like that, where you can just set a stop and just let this thing go. Huh. So it's almost like the smaller time frame charts that we're always staring at. We need to probably spend less time looking at them and more time doing something else. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So how, that's a hard thing to do is what I've been finding. Like trying, I've, I've noticed myself getting sucked into like uh, the smaller, like one minute, 30 second time frames, And like, I, I can do a good job of staying away from it until it gets to that point. But then it's always either at a level or really close to another one. So I want to keep watching and I can justify to myself to continue staring at that screen for way too long. Yeah, I think the key, at least for, for me, so the way that I do things is, you know, every morning I do, I zoom out, right? Mm -hmm. So I go to the monthly profiles, the weekly profiles, and I mostly use volume profile, market profile, uh, and order flow more so for entries uh, and, and things like that. And so I'll use those higher timeframes to come up with the areas where I want to do business with the market, the areas where I think I can manage risk from, uh, mm -hmm. areas of balance and things like that. So where are we at? Are we trending? Are we balancing? And identify some of the higher timeframe stuff. And then I write a daily plan. And so in my daily plan, I'm, I'm identifying those areas where I might want to engage with the market and then waiting for the market to confirm via order flow and things like that. But once I'm in the trade, uh, I do try to then go back to a 30 minute chart. So I have, you know, my smaller time frame chart on the screen, but I also have a 30 minute time frame chart and a, you know, like a 10,000 tick chart mm -hmm. uh, on the screen to look at you know, the larger time frame rotations and then watch and place my take profits on the 30 minute chart as opposed to a tick chart uh, where I feel that that in some ways helps with what you're talking about, where you're, you, mm -hmm. you know, if you see the little tick chart ch jumping up and down oh, yeah. a 30 second chart, uh, you know, it's easy to like, look at that and see some sort of candle formation that might look, you know, bearish if you saw it on a 30 minute chart, but then you look at the 30 minute chart and that looks bullish. So it's like, which one are you going to believe? Uh, right. You probably want to opt for the higher time frame. That's interesting. Okay. I think I'll make some notes here for myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that idea. I like the, I mean, at one point, I mean, I think I was just like, I place the trade, I get up and walk away because, you know, I'll let the bracket take care of it. Uh, but I've kind of gotten away from doing that. And I like the idea of 
spending more time on the higher time frame charts and then the idea of actually flipping over there once you're in your entry because what are you staring at it anymore now right because i'm not using it to make decisions anymore now i'm just using it to basically assuage my ego or crater it <laughs> one or the other <laughs> yeah more often than not that's where a lot of the mistakes come in because you know order flow is tricky um yeah. you know you might be in a long and there's multiple times throughout that if you hold it to your target where you wanted to get out Mm -hmm. Because of something you saw, you know, a sweep of the book or something, you see a large order come through that's a sell uh, and it spook you out of the trade very easily if, you, if you're sitting there too, too closely tuned in. Yep. Yep. That is definitely uh, something that I can do a better job at. Uh, I, I didn't want to gloss over uh, something you said a few minutes ago, but you said that you're 14 years sober. Were you, was that part of your journey into the markets or was that something that happened beforehand? No, I actually, I mean, I was placing trades in high school and things like that, but I, I got more into trading once I did get sober. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that, you know, then I had more, you know, excess income to trade with and things like that. So it was obviously helpful there. Uh, but more so, I think it was, uh, you know, the path towards sobriety, right? So, you know, when you're actively drinking or an, uh, an alcoholic or addict or something like that, decision making is clearly not your strong suit. You're, mm -hmm. Um, making emotional decisions all the time. Obviously, confidence becomes an issue and things like that. But in the process of getting sober, you deal with a lot of things. Uh, you deal with uh, learning to understand yourself on a, on a much deeper level. And I think that that does lend itself quite a lot to at least the struggles that I've had with trading because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I definitely was not like, you know, just step in and then now a superstar trader uh, right off the bat. I had a lot of uh, inner struggles myself uh, that I had to personally overcome and deal with and things like that. You know, I had my, I've had times where I overtraded, had times where I anger traded, uh, mm -hmm. revenge traded, uh, lacked patience, cut winners way too early all the time. Um, you know, I never had the issue with holding on to losers, but I had, I would cut losers quick, but I would also cut winners quick. Um, and it took some time to get through those things. And there's a number of reasons why those happen, but, uh, the path into getting sober, uh, you know, they say like honesty, willingness, and an open mind is all the things you need to get sober. And I find that that's a lot of the things you need to also overcome some of the hurdles in trading uh, and being honest with who you are and who, how you trade and your own risk tolerance, um, your aversion to risk and things like that. Uh, and finding the best strategy that fits your personality, your, you know, your, your type of uh, abilities is, is critical. I love what you just said there, because that actually sounds a lot like uh, this, the things that Rich Friesen teaches with his uh, psychology focused stuff. Awareness is like step one. And then it's the, the key is not judging what you find like, oh, I, this makes me angry. And then the, the proper response to that is, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why that is not, oh, I shouldn't be getting angry when this happens. That's stupid. And now you're judging yourself and then you're creating this other conflict and you still haven't addressed the initial, uh, you know, original one. Yeah, they say take the stance of, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like take the stance for yourself of non-judgmental curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you make mistakes, you do things. Uh, you should be curious about why without, you know, beating yourself to death over it. Obviously, then there is the accountability side where you do need to take action, uh, but beating yourself up is not helpful generally. So how, how, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about holding yourself accountable without like shaming yourself or feeling shitty about it? You know, uh, I think we each have a process for doing that. And, you know, 
we can beat ourselves up day after day, right? So if we're repeating the same mistakes over and over uh, and we are becoming increasingly frustrated with our own behavior and our inability to do what we know to be right, which is what I commonly see with when people are beating themselves up, it's because they're doing the same. They know what to do. They, they really do. They kind of know what to do. Right. Uh, and they can't seem to do it. Their decision making is not aligning with what they know to be the right thing to do. Um, that is in and of itself the most frustrating side of things. And so a lot of times when I'm working with people, first of all, we have to zoom out even from trading and, and where I usually try to get people is like, what do you want your life to look like? Right. So my guess is for most traders, their life in their if they were to outline what their ideal life looks like, it's not to be sitting there clicking the button 300 times a day, stressing about every entry and exit. What they really want their life to look like is to be in control of every trade, to to feel calm, to uh, feel successful. So you, you've mentioned the working with a lot of people or coaching a lot of people like so what are some of those common issues then that you're finding most traders tend to struggle with? I think so they're they're pretty much all the same, number one. And like I tell people all the time, like you're not alone in your struggles with these things. So uh, generally over trading issues with patience, cutting winners too early, holding on to losers, anger trading uh, or revenge trading uh, is kind of, I would say, the big five mm -hmm. to six things that really a lot of people struggle with. And, you know, there's there's different reasons for each, I would say, trading flaw. Uh, but there's differing opinions on kind of what causes them and what can correct them in, in terms of, so there's a lot of people focused on the mental game. Uh, yeah. And they, and, and, and there, I've seen this argument before where some people are like, it's only strategy. And some people are like, it's only uh, emotions. And I sort of sit somewhere in the middle where yep. uh, I do feel that I'm probably more towards the strategy side. Uh, because mm -hmm. that's my experience with most people that I've worked with is that uh, I can sit there and work with people all day long on um, how to hold on to uh, a winning trade uh, on the emotional side. But without an exit strategy, uh, it doesn't really make sense to do that. Because, right. you know, I feel as though for most people, uh, like, we'll just focus on on struggling to hold on to winners for one second here, you know, like pick on mm -hmm. that one, because that's, I think, something that afflicts most people. Uh, everyone's very focused on entries, uh, and they find really good entrance strategies and things like that. And, you know, order flow reversals, they're good at like kind of targeting some of these things. Uh, but they don't spend near as much time on exit strategies. And once they're in the trade, uh, without a comprehensive exit strategy or a good set of targets and kind of thinking through these trades ahead of time. So daily planning can become important in that. Like if I do get long here, where would I want to go uh, with mm -hmm. that trade? Uh, the only thing you're left with for decision-making is you know, emotional decisions, right? Like how long can I handle it? Like once it's in right. your favor, uh, the, let's say that the trade, you're up a thousand dollars on this trade. You know, there's the chance it's going to come back and stop you out. There's the chance that you're going to move your stop up just above break even and it comes back and clips you at break even. You could just flatten the trade or you could hold it to your target. But if you're not aware of what you're looking for to potentially get out before your target or 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 like better yet, like what is your exit strategy? If you don't have mm -hmm. something written out or at least like two or three things that are very important to you, 
I think oftentimes it can be just a reverse engineering of your entrance strategy, basically. Right. Um, you yeah. know, the, the same thing that got you long, but in reverse. Uh, but if you don't have that, you're only left with like, how much can you take? How much can you handle? Uh, and that affliction, like for most people, it comes from uh, a scarcity mindset, right? So mm -hmm. for me, I grew up uh, without a lot of money. Like my parents didn't have a lot of money. They held on tightly to everything they had, right? So I was raised to hold on tightly to everything that I have. Right. And you'll see that when people grew up poor or they grew up without a lot or with parents that held on very tightly to everything that they had, like didn't invest, um, were, you know, you know, cheap with money and things like that, you know, which nothing wrong with any of those things. I didn't have a lot of money growing up at all. Um, but one of the factors that you'll carry forward is a bit of a scarcity mindset where when a trade is in your favor, you feel the need to capture that gain and hold on to it like very strongly. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes for many people, it also manifests itself in holding on to losing trades with the hope that it comes back to break even or, or back in your favor. And a lot of people will hold that until they blow their account. They'll just move their stop or not have a stop at all. Right. Uh, and, and they use it's, it's actually a great line in the, the book um, reminisces of a stock operator. Oh, and he says such a good book. Yeah, he says he's like most people have it backwards. I'm paraphrasing, but he says most people have it backwards when a trade is going in their favor. They fear it's going to come back and stop them out. And when it's going against them, they hope it's going to come back to break even. And you have to flip the two. Right. So when it's going in your favor, you have to hope it continues towards your target and hold on. When it's moving against you, then you should fear. You should be in <laughs> right. fear. And it's natural almost to do the exact opposite for, for a lot of people. I think Buffett has a similar quote. Like you don't you don't cut the flowers out of the flower garden to get rid of the weeds. So why would you, why would you clear out all your winning trades in order to protect your losers? Yep. <laughs> oh, um, you, you mentioned the, like you sit between like it's all mental versus it's all strategy. I, I would actually go to say that the two kind of have to work together. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it's, I think that if you don't have confidence in your strategy, then you're never going to be able to execute it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Like you need to be able to have confidence in what you're doing in order to be able to get past the emotional aspect of it. Does that make sense? Or am I on the right track there? Yeah, of course. I think so. When I, when I say I lean a little more towards the strategy, I think they both work hand in hand. So yeah, first and foremost, I think that your strategy has to line up in many ways with your own personality and your mm -hmm. ability to manage risk. So I've worked with a lot of successful traders and unsuccessful traders. The successful ones, what they have in common is that they they almost all have a very different strategy and something unique to them. It's unique mm -hmm. to the way that they think. It's unique to the way that they can manage risk. It's unique to their personality. And, and in many ways, one of the first questions I ask people, like when they're when they're asking me about like how what type of strategy, it's like what's your time frame? Like mm -hmm. how, how comfortable you are holding a trade? Like, are you, can you hold a ES trade for a hundred points, you know, <laughs> or 10 points? <laughs> right. Or is it, or is it like three points? You know, mm -hmm. it, there's nothing wrong with any of them. There's monster traders out there trading thousands of lots that go for a few ticks a day, but it's right. what type of trader are you? And mm -hmm. then identifying and, and honing in on that strategy that's going to work best for you that you can execute with some sort of an edge where you have an edge in that three points and you're, you're pretty high probability that you're going to nail that three points. And if you're a hundred point guy, then you're waiting and bring, then it becomes a, a patience game. You have to really wait for that setup to get in because you can't be eating 20 and 30 point stops all day. Right. right. So 
it's a different game altogether. And so we have to find who are we in our risk aversion, like where are we at on that spectrum? Mm -hmm. uh, what type of strategy are we looking to trade? Do we want to scalp? Do we? But if you're a hundred point guy trying to scalp three points, are you going to be really right. happy with that? <laughs> uh, you know, so it, it, I think it all comes down to what's your personality and then fitting the strategy that's going to work for you and finding the, the things that best help you manage risk around your strategy, right? So trying to be the hundred point guy, if you're a three point guy is not going to work because you're going to have, you're going to enter a trade with some big wide stop looking for a hundred points. But once it goes up 20 points, you're gonna are you going to keep holding it if it pulls back 10 points <laughs> yeah. or yeah. If it pull back 10 points and then you close it? Well, with the 20 point stop, you got to be right. You know, what is it? 75% of the time, if that's your, if that, if you, if you're cutting early, <laughs> so yeah. it may, it throws off your, your probabilities. That's pretty well said. Um, so it's more about knowing who you are and then finding the system that fits you rather than trying to take a system and make yourself fit into that. And I think that is where a lot of people do struggle. You look around on Twitter, right? And you see these, mm -hmm. these you know, you see certain people and they'll hold it. They, they, on Twitter, they have this trade for hundreds of points, right? Like you don't know how many points they actually got, what their trades actually were, but everybody wants that big trade because, you know, there's a certain probably feeling that how how that might feel but are you able to actually do that and mm -hmm. is it even important it's really not important i'm personally much more of a scalper like mm -hmm. that's where my edge is is you know taking nq for between 10 and 40 points like boom in out my my trade max time in trade is somewhere between 40 seconds and 20 minutes, like right. somewhere in there, depending on how long yep. it takes this thing to play out. That's where I'm in. That's where I'm out. And then I'm flat and I'm waiting for the next time I can jump in again. You know, that's really it because that's what I'm comfortable with. I'm not a 500 point guy. Mm -hmm. If, for example, though, a trade like that sets up, I'm ready for that. And I'll use the indexes for that, but use something like QQQ or SPY because I'm, it's, it's not in front of my face. Right. So that if we're in smart. a 500 point balance area and I want to short the top of it, I'm not going to do it with futures because mm -hmm. I know I'm staring at those all day. I might buy some QQQ puts. I may short QQQ outright or SQQQ, whatever it is that, that I might use to to trade that, because I know if it's sitting in front of me for hours a day, I'm going to flatten that trade at some point. You know what I mean? I know. I just <laughs> yes, know. I know. <laughs> so that, that's just personally how I, I handle that. I think that's a brilliant idea, actually. Um, I've actually, when I first started my futures journey, I was actually having some success using that information over in the options market. Uh, mm -hmm. That may be something I want to go back and revisit, I think. Look, there's, so sometimes you'll see, especially like, so again, I use a lot of balance area stuff in my work. And so I see a lot of balance and then we break from balance and then I'm looking for a move to an extension. But if we're in an 800 point NQ balance, mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to hold you know, a full size NQ position for 800 points. Right. But if I buy a few calls and th this thing starts to go as it breaks from balance, those are going to be up hundreds of percent. You know, it's yep. not, it's not unrealistic for that. And if it breaks from balance or look above and fail, then I might short it back to the bottom of balance. Uh, but it's unlikely I'm going to hold that trade. I'll be trading it with futures, scalping mm -hmm. it short the whole way down or the whole way up. But that other position, I'll do it on thinkorswim. 
mm-hmm. you know, from my phone and then just set my phone down and I'm not sitting there staring at it, uh, wondering, right. Because when we get to those areas of larger time frame spots where I know I can manage risk, I still want to use my edge on that, but there are some limitations to my own trading mindset, right? That I have to do it in the way that's going to work for me. And the way that works for me is a, a an equity type position, like a swing position mm-hmm. that's not in front of my face. And that means not futures. Wow. That is, uh, man, you really know yourself. Like that's one I've talked to a lot of traders and I don't think I've ever heard anybody like so succinctly like describe their own traits and flaws like the way you just did here. I think it's, I look, I, I feel like, so the, some of the first questions I'm going to ask any, any trader and like anyone who's listening, you can ask yourself the same thing. You know, the first thing I'm going to ask them is what's your time frame? What are you, what are you struggling with? What are your trading flaws? Uh, and then once they answer all those questions, it's going to be, do you write a plan? Like, how are you looking at the market? Uh, a lot of people are going to tell you, like, uh, you know, I read your plan. I read someone else's plan. I'm looking at this guy's stuff on Twitter. I'm looking at, you know, on Reddit, wh- wherever people are getting their information. A similar thing that I find with a lot of folks that are struggling is that they're looking at other people's information. Yep. Right. Yep. And while that can be helpful, uh, I think over time it can be harmful because, you know, if I ask anyone, where do you see yourself in five years? It's definitely not, they're never going to say, I still see myself looking at other people's plans. Right. They're going to say, I am in control of my trading. I'm feeling more confident. But that starts by doing your own plans, by understanding the market, by doing the homework in the pre-market to understand you know, the, the market structure, where we're at in terms of balance. Are we trending? What's going on? So you're not fighting trends and things like that. And also, if you're taking other people's information, and this includes me, mm-hmm. And let's say I post something on Twitter and you take a trade based on a level I post and you get stopped out. Well, you're going to blame me. Right. But it's your fault. Like, even though I posted the level, but at the end of the day, uh, it removes accountability from yourself. And I think that's why so many people like those types of things. Like they want to be able to shift that blame away from themselves to say, well, it wasn't my fault. I was just doing what he told me to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I just think, you know, and so there's even that has its own difficulties, right? So you start writing a plan, your plan is okay to start with, sometimes it's completely wrong, but it gets better over time. Then there's the issue of trading your plan, Mm -hmm. right? Because that requires so it's one thing to write a plan, that's another thing to actually execute the trades off the plan. And, you know, you need to write a plan, obviously, that then goes back to what's your time frame and works with your mindset that works with your strategy, uh, and your ability to hold risk, like your plan shouldn't be if you can hold for three to seven points, your plan isn't to buy at 4,900 and hold it to 5,000, right? right? right. <laughs> you know I mean? It's got to work within the parameters and confines of your own abilities. I'd also say too, like if you're like, like you said, there's nothing wrong with listening to other people's plans or works or, or at least like seeing how like it should be done, but you should be doing it yourself too. I think, right? Like you should be writing mm-hmm. down your own plan and then going back and referencing what the other people are doing that you like, and then seeing like, how well do you line up? Are there gaps or things that you miss? Go find out why. Yeah. And I, look, so most of the time when I'm when I'm helping people understand how to write a plan or teaching them to write a trading plan, um, I tell them, write it before you read mine. Yep. Don't read my plan and then write your plan. Write your own plan and then compare it to mine. And then send me questions and ask me, you know, why, why, why does this matter? Why does that matter? Like, you know, start to, you know, 
press me on why I'm saying certain things in the plan so that I can explain it to you, like what, what I'm seeing. Right. And then maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, so it, it's, it's, it's really just to build the muscle. Yep. It's to build the muscle of day in and day out, looking at the market structure on multiple time frames to understand one thing. Where do I know I'm wrong? It's really like, so anyone who says their pivot or whatever, like my pivot is just the area where I know I'm wrong, right? It's, I know that if I want to be long, right? So if we're bullish, this is the line where I know that I'm wrong, just below that. Mm -hmm. I want to get long as close as possible to that. And that's the one area that I'm looking for of importance. Uh, and below that, then, you know, maybe you trade it the other way or just sit on your hands or whatever. But each person might have a slightly different pivot, but they're usually going to rhyme quite a bit. And, you know, I, I see other people's plans out there and they're all somewhat similar, uh, maybe some nuanced differences and things like that. But, you know, for the most part, it's who can identify that area uh, that is going to come out on and actually trade it uh, that's going to come out successful. And also, so some of the, you know, other things that that alleviates is overtrading, patience, mm -hmm. all those things, because now you're actually looking for something very specific to happen uh, as you mapped it out in the pre-market or the night before or whatever. Now you're looking for something very specific to happen. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a little bit easier to wait for that to happen uh, rather than getting sucked into overtrading and chop in the middle of that range or, you know, you're like kind of diddling in the middle, hoping right. it jumps one way or another. Uh, and that's where a lot of people lose money. Yep. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen. And I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Uh, so what are some good things that a trading plan should incorporate then? Like, you don't have to tell us how to write one, but... Mm -hmm. So right at the top of my trading plan, I include, are we daily, weekly, uh, monthly, one-time framing. Mm -hmm. So are we trending up on the daily, on the weekly, on the monthly? Are we in balance on any of those time frames? Just to get an idea of the the larger time frame trends, which way are we moving right now? Yep. From there, I get into context. So essentially, I write out what happened yesterday, right? So I write out what happened the, the, the prior day, what areas did we hold or we found resistance, uh, what happened in relation to the prior day's value, uh, yesterday, uh, were we able to break above? Was there initiative buying above value or was there initiative selling below value? Did we take out the prior day's high, the prior day's low? Did we end the day on a spike? Was it a double distribution day or was it a balance day? Trying to just understand the context. So this is something very important to futures traders where I think a bias can creep in and kill you. Um, and someone told me this a long time ago, like the market is just trying to find a fair price to do business. That's all that's happening, right? It's moving yep. up and down, trying to find a fair price to do business. When we're in balance, it's found a two-way auction and it's auctioning 
back and forth between those areas. And we have to find advantageous prices within that to execute our trades back in towards the fairest price, right? Until right. we break away from that area and seek the next fair price, which would be called a trend. We start yep. trending towards a new fair price. And at some point we end daily one time framing and start balancing again, right? So all we're trying to do is identify what's the fairest price? What are the advantageous prices in this area? At what point does that change if we break out or break down? And then we are looking to trade it to the next fair price or wait for it to uh, end one time framing and start balancing in a new area where we can then like draw some sort of a box around it and say, okay, this is now the fair price. Now, what's the advantageous price to get short or long in this area? Mm -hmm. And when you do that day in and day out, it becomes much easier to see in real time, right? So if you're reading someone else's plan and they're not telling you how to do it mm -hmm. or where these levels are coming from or exactly why they're doing what they're doing, um, no matter what price we're trading, you're not going to know why we're trading there or what's, why is this important? Right. So it becomes very tricky. Right. And, and also like, you know, so when we're around the point of control, for example, like we're around the highest volume area, big high volume node, it's the worst place to, to try to execute trades. I mean, it's the fairest price. Like, well, I don't, right. I don't want to pay the fairest price. Yeah. And so it's an easy place to get chopped up. But if you're not, you know, looking at those things day in and day out, it's very easy to get caught in one of those higher time frame HVNs where you're just sitting there getting chopped up in this area and unsure why. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you kind of already addressed the next question on my list. I was going to ask you for some tips on dealing with the uh, patience, which is one of the things that I've been struggling with lately, but I think you just laid it out step by step for me right here. So I <laughs> uh, appreciate your, your thoughts on that. Uh, Hopefully I can do some follow-up and let you know how that goes. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff though that you do over at Mind Unbound that I wanted to make sure we got a few minutes to talk about. So you have like a mm -hmm. thriving Discord community where you're posting your plans every day, you're live trading, doing market commentary. Uh, you have the coaching aspects, which we kind of already touched on a little bit with some of the clients that you worked with. And then you have custom indicators I saw too. So tell me a little bit about those. Yeah, so I mean, one of the things with the, so it started out as I was posting my plans and then people got a lot of value out of the plans and I was working with people on the emotional aspects of trading. Mm -hmm. But most people then kind of similar to the early part of our conversation, the strategy side of it was plaguing most people where they, without a some sort of strategy mentorship, they kept falling into these emotional pitfalls. So then I created the strategy course. So I had the mental, the mindset course, then the strategy course, then the private discord. And, you know, I do the live voice chat trading because number one, it keeps people calm. Mm -hmm. So I'm very calm. <laughs> I'm explaining what's happening in the context. I'm explaining what's happening in relation to the plan. Yeah, yes, I'm calling out the trades that I take, but I try to tell people like, don't take a trade just because I'm taking a trade. Right. But it's more so just to keep people calm mm -hmm. and, and looking at the structure and keeping them engaged in where we're at in balance and understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing and why these areas actually matter in the auction. You know, from there, I did create uh, Unbound Signals, which is a reversal indicator. So I have two different components to that. One is uh, Unbound Zones, which are the zones that I use. They're not created with order flow or anything else. Mm -hmm. They're created using uh, confluence of levels of importance to me based on balance and balance extensions and things like that. Uh, and those are just static on your chart mm -hmm. and I change them on my end and they automatically change on the indicator. So on a daily basis, those will show up on your chart mm. for motive wave and ninja trader. Okay. That's kind of neat. And then there's the unbound reversal signals, which 
the, that is a more order flow based signal. So essentially what it's telling you, like, so for a buy zone to print, you know, it's looking for very strong selling into an area that gets reversed by even stronger buying, looking at a number of factors, right. uh, bid volume, mass volume, speed, delta like, and delta, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's looking at a bunch of different factors. There's, I think, nine different triggers that have to work in one direction, then in reverse mm -hmm. uh, to trigger a zone. Uh, and those are just showing you areas, again, where you can manage risk and, you know, left on its own, it's just an indicator. Yep. And this is, it goes for any indicator. This thing was not, you're not going to, you know, put an indicator on your chart and be a millionaire. Yeah. I don't care how good it is yep. because it's still important to understand the context of what's going on and what signals might matter more than others. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I still write the plan. I still trade it. I often take trades with no signals at all because it's still an area of importance for me. And then the signal fires after I'm already in it. So it's like, we still have to look at our own strategy outside of indicators. And then for me, those types of reversal zones and things like that are, they add conviction. They yes. add confidence to that area uh, once it fires. And I kind of say, okay, well, I'm already in a trade and now it's firing. So I feel good about that. Right, right. Um, or you can, you know, or it fires and you get a nice retest and an area to get into the trade. But um, for me, it just helps. I, I think a lot of people will stare at the DOM for, a couple of years and it takes time to to really incorporate what's going on uh in the dom uh it's definitely learnable it just takes time yep. and yep. the indicator itself to me can reduce some of that time because it's it's kind of telling you the areas that matter and then you can kind of see it a little bit quicker in the dom if you're watching both yeah uh, you're, you're actually seeing what's happening there because sometimes what looks like weakness uh that slowly turns to strength and then turns to strength like you Right. You might miss it if you're not actually looking for that area. You might be like, wow, there's a lot of selling going on here. And then once it gets reversed and slowly we're trading above where all that selling was, Yeah, uh, you might forget where that area was. It's, it's sometimes hard to, to keep track of. So the, the indicators are helpful for me. A good indicator, too, should be something that simplifies your work, I think. Uh, yeah. Like it's not... It's not something that you're going to like rely on as like a crux. It's going to be like, like you said, you have nine things that have to fire for your reversal one to print. Well, that's nine things that you'd have to be staring at and trying to keep track of in your head. But when you can codify that and then start simplifying it to where you don't have to spend as much time looking for all those things. Now, when it fires, you know that it's there. You can just hit the button mm -hmm. or do what you need to do. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 just a, for me, it's about creating th anything I can do to give me an edge in conviction mm -hmm. or confidence, especially once I'm in a trade uh, is ideal. Right. So especially like if I'm in a trade and it fires off a short zone, let's say I'm in a long trade and it fires off a, a short zone, mm -hmm. you know, okay, well, that's not what I want to see. Right. So maybe I can capture that gain before it pulls back and stops me out. Like there's a bunch of different ways that I use these things. And oftentimes a failed signal turns into some of the best mm -hmm. to trade the other way. Yep. So it's, you know, there's a number of different ways to use those things. And there's some great uh, indicator tools out there. Uh, but this is my iteration that kind of uses the way I look at it. And you mentioned that there's a course too that kind of goes through like how to use it. Yeah, I've created quite a few videos um, to explain how I trade with them. I also with the group, you know, we have a room in the group uh, called Coaching Call Questions. So like every two two to three weeks, I do a live Zoom session on the weekends mm -hmm. uh, where I address everybody's questions, where I share charts and everything. So sometimes we go through just like a full hour and a half, two hours, just with the indicator or just with market profile or just with the footprint chart. Uh, and use it as a training thing. And they're all recorded. 
Do you still do the the morning meditations? I, I personally do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't do them live every morning anymore because it was taking up a significant portion of my morning, and I'm now writing plans for ES and Q, right. uh, going back and forth with members and things like that, commenting on everything going on in the pre-market. And so my morning gets a little bit busy, um, but I do still find value in meditation and, and mindfulness exercises. I think I finally figured out why meditation is useful. And it was something that was kind of explaining like what the whole point of it is. Like I always used to get frustrated because I sit down to try to meditate and then your mind starts wandering and you have all these thoughts coming in and then you know, you're not meditating anymore. Now you're thinking about random shit. But <laughs> apparently the whole idea of meditating is to practice the act of focusing your thinking. So when those thoughts come in, you're taking that moment. Nope. Go back to the breath, the breathing controls. We're going to focus on that. And if you can, if you can build up that muscle memory or that, that ec- you can build up that skill of being able to shift your focus when those thoughts start to creep in. I can see that being like a very powerful thing that can help you in many aspects of life. Yeah. So there is a meditation I've done a few times uh, with our group and I did it for OFL as well a few times and it's in the Mind Unbound course too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a meditation around attentional control. So, you know, essentially getting yourself into a meditative state in your chair or wherever you're comfortable and moving your attention once your eyes are closed and you're in a state of presence from your breathing and you're feeling somewhat calm, then moving your attention, you know, just, okay, focus on the right hand wall. What's on the wall to your right, Mm. moving your attention, maybe like around, like almost putting the room together Mm -hmm. around yourself and then going from the floor to the ceiling and then down through the top of your head and just bringing your attention moving your attention around the room, then into your body, all the way down to your feet, and just slowly like feeling how you feel throughout your body. Does my back hurt? Am I holding tension in my back? And moving all the way down to the tips of your toes, wiggle your toes to the tips of your fingers, wiggle your fingers, kind of rub them together. Mm -hmm. Really kind of getting in touch with your attention. Just that attentional control can translate in many ways to what you're doing in markets a lot of times because it's very easy to allow our attention to drift off and especially when over trading mm-hmm. uh, or trading and being impatient, you know, so if our attention is maybe not on our plan and, and what our intention is with the market. So if I have this one area that's very important that I should manage risk at uh, and we're five points above it in ES and I see a little something that makes me want to get in here, but like, everything's telling me just wait for your spot, right? You know, it's easy to get distracted. You know, when we're trading, you know, you're looking at footprints, tick charts, you know, signals and all kinds of shit that you have on your charts. And, you know, with all those things happening, it's very easy to, you know, like squirrel, like, yeah. you know, something running by. it's like, Oh, that was a big sell. Uh, yeah. You forget what your plan was. You forget what your intention was in waiting for this specific, area and you get distracted you see something like i'm gonna miss it you start to feel like i'm gonna miss it and then you get a little fomo and you jump in early or you jump in late Mm -hmm. uh and you know those things usually cost us sometimes you might be right and i would argue with most people those times when you make a big mistake and you're right that's the worst usually will cost you the most money because you're going to do it again and again and again and this whole thing with trading and the mental game and strategy is about habituation. Mm-hmm. So 
the more often we overtrade or are impatient, the more likely we are to overtrade or be impatient again. And so I've it's really that. like one day at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it, you know, we get like a daily chance to change that trend in our own life, in our own trading where we can, okay, just for today, I'm not going to do that today. Let me just sit on my hands. If I miss the trade or take zero trades, that's fine. But I'm waiting for my spot. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take a trade above that spot. I'm going to wait and see what happens at my spot. And then I'm going to take that trade. And, and feel joy really resigning yourself to doing nothing or doing what you're planning mm -hmm. is what over time will get you towards the discipline that most people are trying to find. It's, but we have to force discipline. And, you know, there has to be some level of accountability. And, you know, we can get into discipline and accountability. I don't know how much time we have, but there's there's a lot to be said about it's one thing to be accountable to where you're losing money mm -hmm. and beating yourself up. Um, but I don't think that in and of itself is going to change most people because we train in a bubble most of the time. Nobody knows what we're doing right. uh, until we lose enough money to piss off our wife or <laughs> that we have to stop trading or whatever. But most people don't know what we're doing. Um, and I think for me, where I've found success with people is making this about something bigger, mm -hmm. something bigger than ourselves, uh, not money related, right? So it's easy to, to mm -hmm. want to get rich overnight. But, you know, where I've worked with a lot of traders is on, and this is going to sound crazy, but I have people write me in their obituary. I want you to write me your obituary. I want you to tell me what it is that you hope people say about you when you pass away. All the things that you've created, what you've done with your life, your achievements, all of these things that you hope to achieve at some point later in life, I want you to, to, to really think through what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And then when you're taking it, like, like, let's, and these are examples that I've used uh, in sharing this before, but like, let's say you want to retire your parents mm -hmm. or you want to put your kids through college or you want to, you know, start a business or whatever. And a lot of these things are contingent upon you being successful with your trading or that being successful with your trading would give you the opportunity to do those things. Well, then taking a stupid trade that isn't part of your plan or over trading and getting chopped to death, you know, for no reason in an area that you've never planned to trade. Uh, it isn't just you losing money and getting frustrated. You're actually moving yourself further you're not away be able from to your goal. Your kid through college. Yeah. You're not going to be able to retire your parents. Those things that you really want for your life are not going to happen if you continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. And that draws in a whole different level of discipline. I think as men, and women to, to a certain extent, especially, um, you know, type A women, mm -hmm. we need a mission. We need some sort of life's mission, some sort of life's task to go after. And left without a mission, you see like in the military, they all have, they have a mission. They have a very strong mission and yep. unity together. And with that comes all that discipline. And if we're just sitting there eating Cheetos and plugging away at our computer, chopping it up, uh, Where's the discipline? Where's the mission? What's the mission for, for that? Right. If we're lacking that, it's very hard to be very disciplined. Yes. And I think for me, it becomes much bigger. That you have to define the, the end point in order to know if you're making progress towards it. Because otherwise, you know, you flounder, you do well or mm -hmm. take a step back. You, you have no idea where you're going. So it doesn't really make any difference to you. Right. I can. Yeah, yeah that's I love that idea. Um, writing an obituary is a little morbid for me, but <laughs> at least having yeah, an idea of like what your plans are for, for trading, like, what do you want out of it? Like, that sounds like something that probably we should all have very well defined before we start putting real money into it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think having a North Star for most men um, and most people in general is it gives us a a direction, a general direction that we want to go in. And it also we can then create a plan, Mm -hmm. a path. We can we can visualize this path to get there. If we don't have any of that and our goal is to be a millionaire or just to make a bunch of money. That's not a destination. That's it's very hard to like. That's not necessarily a great mission for our life. I, I think for me personally. It has to be bigger than trading. It has to be bigger than money. Yeah. It has to be something that's deeply fulfilling to you. Mm-hmm. Um, like what would what what is it that you could do if you were successful with this that would be deeply fulfilling to you that you could use that money for? But it has to be for something that would actually move the needle for you personally. That because yes. if you're taking food out of your kid's mouth, you know, then you know this becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Like you know where. Maybe it's a little bit easier. So, you know, I've had people in the past that they wanted to put their kids through. I was like, put a picture of your kid on your computer. Whenever you want to take that stupid trade, like look at him yeah. and say like, you know, if I continue to do this, you're not going to go to college. Like, <laughs> like seriously, you have to be kind of hard on yourself because it's like, dude, you're not going to make it. Like at some point, I think that people, you have to realize like you either get discipline or you're not going to make it. You're just going to lose money until you stop. Like, so it's one or the other. But I like the anchoring it to something that's not me. I feel like yes. that is kind of the key there. That need, whatever you're trying to build your discipline around, like it needs to be something that matters to you. And I don't know, my well-being isn't necessarily at the top of my mind, but my <laughs> wife's is, you know, her kids. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of things out there that I could anchor my that feeling towards. And I think that would be, that would go a long way. Yeah. Uh, Craft your mission, man. Yeah. I think... I think it's a it's a unique way to cultivate discipline for most people mm-hmm. that and and look this this transcends trading right if you do these things correctly it's not just about trading right. like this will that it also affects other parts of your life if you have this deep mission uh it provides life direction mm-hmm. right so uh yes I think it will help with trading and discipline and um patience and everything else but it also helps you move towards something deeply fulfilling to you and forces yeah. you to think about where do I want my life to, to go? If you're not happy without money, you're not going to be happy with it. I think that's kind of yeah. the main takeaway, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, we covered kind of a lot of tough stuff here and I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, tell, uh, let everyone know uh, where they can find more about you. If they want to check out some of the stuff you have to offer or they want to, to learn more about mind unbound. Yeah, man. MindUnboundTrading.com uh, is my website on Twitter. Uh, it's at Aaron Rentfrew. Um, I think you put a link in the I'll definitely the have that, yeah. <laughs> my last name is a little hard to, to, to spell, but uh, yeah, I, I share pretty openly on Twitter. You can always reach out to me via uh, DMs there. You can email me at Aaron at MindUnboundTrading. Uh, but, uh, you know, anyone can reach out to say what's up. And he does answer them. I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> uh, I do work with people privately, but I usually only, I try to work with maybe two, two clients at a time max um, yeah. because the room, the discord room does take uh, a fair amount of my time. Uh, all private clients get lifetime access to the room. So uh, I do have courses for mindset and strategy. They're all incorporated. It's all like a one bundle thing. You can take a look at the website and uh, it's all in there, but um, you guys, anyone can reach out anytime, even via tw- Twitter DMs. I'm happy to try and assist you where I can. I've probably taken a hundred phone calls from Twitter DMs with people that were really struggling just to help them out. Mm-hmm. People, everything from addiction to uh, to trading stuff. Um, I'm I'm happy. To, I I actually find fulfillment in helping people. So for me, it's 
it's it's where I find fulfillment. Yes. So explains why you do it. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, for your time today. Uh, thank you again. Bear goes along for for setting this one up uh, and for reminding me how much I wanted to talk to Aaron. <laughs> you know, time can get away from you real quickly if you're not paying attention. Uh, fortunately, I think we have come to the end of our time today. Uh, the fun doesn't have to stop, though. You can follow Aaron on Twitter, as he mentioned, at Aaron Rentfrew, and that's a double A. Uh, you can check out mindunboundtrading.com if you want to learn more about the Discord, the custom indicators, and the coaching opportunities. If you enjoyed today's conversation and you're looking for more, you can check out our guest directory where you can browse all the amazing episodes we've done over the years with hundreds, I dare say, of uh, amazing guests like Aaron today. Uh, we'll be sure to include all of those links in the episode description just for you. And I will be back soon with another exciting episode. But until then, take a deep belly breath and slap that five-star rating as you exhale all that built-up stress. And take care. Thanks, Kyle. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only, does not constitute financial or investment advice, and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations. Produced by China Shop Productions.